Greetings, welcome all. I hope that you're safe and well wherever you happen to be in the world. Thank you for joining my second podcast that is taking us on this journey of yoga discovery. And a special shout out to sponsors Green Tree Karma, makers of products that are good for you and the environment. You can find eco-friendly products at greentreekarma.com. If you listened to last week's podcast, you were given a basic introduction to the origins of yoga during which I mentioned the Bhagavad Gita. While today's podcast can certainly stand on its own, you might want to listen to the Origins of Yoga podcast before we get started so that you have some degree of context for what I will be sharing with you today. Ready? Let's dive in. The Bhagavad Gita, or Gita as it is commonly referred to, is a small part of the grand epic known as the Mahabharata and is largely attributed to having been written by Vyasa, who was a, a great sage or teacher. Scholars often debate the time period during which the Gita was written, with most agreeing that it was written between 400 BCE to 200 CE. In terms of length, the Mahabharata contains more than 100,000 verses and is eight times the length of Homer's The Iliad and The Odyssey combined, <laughs> hence the name Epic. The Gita is found within the sixth chapter of the Mahabharata and is comprised of 700 verses, representing only a very small percentage of the Mahabharata. The title Bhagavad Gita translates to Song of Our Lord. The Gita is not a religious text, although it is among the most important sources for Hinduism. Many centuries before yoga evolved to include the physical practice of the numerous asanas that are associated with modern yoga, we find the term yoga expressed and defined in the Gita. These yogic principles form the foundation of the yogic traditions that are taught today in studios around the world. The Gita opens on the battlefield of Kurukshetra that is located in present-day northern India in the midst of an impending civil war between two clans, the Pandavas and the Kauravas. The Mahabharata goes into greater detail as to the circumstances that lead to the battlefield. Today, our focus is directed to what happened just prior to the start of the battle and the beginning of the Bhagavad Gita. The Pandavas and the Kauravas are fighting for what they believe is the rightful share of the kingdom, with the Pandavas representing what you might think of as good and just, and the Kauravas representing treachery and deceit. Prince Arjuna of the Pandavas is a highly honored and respected archer, a warrior. Right before the battle is ready to begin, Arjuna and Krishna, his charioteer, move to the center of the battlefield and place themselves midway between the two great armies so that Arjuna can gain a better perspective of the opposing army. As he looks across the field, he sees the faces of many friends and family members and teachers. In great despair, because he can't see any good or benefit coming from killing those he loves and cares for deeply, he throws down his weapons and refuses to fight. Imagine for a moment what drives Arjuna to arrive at this decision. He is good, he is noble, he is highly respected, 
and he is legendary in his role as an accomplished fighter. Yet, faced with a cataclysmic battle in which he will serve as a leader, he becomes paralyzed with doubt and sorrow and is crippled by inaction. And in this moment, Arjuna turns to Krishna, with whom he shares a powerful bond, having been friends since childhood, for guidance. The remainder of the Gita is Krishna's response to Arjuna's questions while using the battlefield as the framework for their conversation, a conversation that focuses upon Krishna laying out a sort of a, a roadmap for any person to find peace and reach a state of fulfillment. This, of course, has universal appeal and is highly relatable to any reader. Now, I have you wondering about the answers that Krishna provides, right? And why would the reader be interested in this conversation? I'm guessing we can agree on the notion that each of us wants to reach a state of never-ending peace, fulfillment, and bliss. So, you're saying, Brenda, what is the essence of the Gita? And what does Arjuna learn from Krishna? Krishna responds to Arjuna's despair by identifying several key concepts, a few of which I will introduce here, that shape and inform our modern understanding of yoga. Krishna stresses the importance of identifying your dharma, which is best described as your purpose or duty in life, and the elimination of attachment to all things. Arjuna's dharma is to be a great warrior to the best of his abilities. His emotional attachment to his friends and family members across the battlefield leads to fear and confusion and inaction. Krishna explains to Arjuna that he should not grieve for those that he kills because the Atman, or self, does not die. While the physical body is a shell that houses the Atman, the Atman travels through a karmic cycle of rebirth over and over in which we are eternal. Understanding this eliminates the fear of death because the Atman never actually dies. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Heavy, right? I'll be discussing karma more in depth in a future podcast. Krishna further reminds Arjuna that his attachments to those across the battlefield are proof that Arjuna is focusing upon the fruits of his action, whereas, as Krishna explains, we should focus on the action itself. This is a key instruction that is fairly easy for the reader to grasp. Too often, we focus on the outcome of our actions in an effort to control and direct future events. Krishna tells Arjuna that yoga is skillfulness in action. Of course, we have many obstacles to reaching our state of peace and fulfillment. These include the three gunas, and looking in our roadmap, when they are unbalanced, the gunas can form potholes or downed trees that get in the way of our journey to peace. Gunas can be described as the characteristics of our mind, and all three are contained in each of us. They include sattva, rajas, and tamas, and the levels of each guna fluctuates at any given time. The gunas influence our perception of all things. And understanding the gunas helps us to view the world and our actions with clarity and harmony. With this wisdom in place, we are able to stay on our journey without straying down a path that is filled with despair and confusion and anger. Krishna, in his infinite wisdom, identifies the tools that keep us on our path and help us to overcome or prevent the presence of obstacles. 
He instructs Arjuna on the importance of meditation that leads to mastery of the inner workings of the mind. After all, you'll probably agree that it's the, the mind stuff, or as I've heard before, the monkey brain that gets in the way of our ability to reach a constant state of utter peace. Krishna recognizes the difficulty that we have in controlling thoughts that lead us away from our destination. But, as explained by Krishna, the rewards are vast. And meditation is a tool for realizing bliss and freedom, and away from suffering and doubt. Ending the karmic cycle of rebirth, we are able to attain a state of tranquility and peace that Krishna identifies as moksha, or liberation. The primary purpose of the Bhagavad Gita is self-realization. It serves as a practical guide for everyone. The Gita transcends all nationalities, economies, and personal wealth or status. It is as relatable now as it was thousands of years ago. The explanations and tools that are provided by Krishna are for everyone. In his book Walden, Henry David Thoreau referenced the Gita numerous times and said, How much more admirable the Bhagavad Gita than all the ruins of the East! In 2006, the American astronaut Sunita Williams carried it with her into space. The great composer Philip Glass created an opera that contains text from the Gita. And Mahatma Gandhi stated, When doubts haunt me, when disappointments stare me in the face, and I see not one ray of hope on the horizon, I turn to Bhagavad Gita and find a verse to comfort me, and I immediately begin to smile in the midst of overwhelming sorrow. Albert Einstein stated, I have made the Bhagavad Gita as the main source of my inspiration and guide for the purpose of scientific investigations and formation of my theories. Hopefully, I've sparked your curiosity about the great wisdom that Krishna shares with Arjuna. The Bhagavad Gita also includes Krishna's explanations of Jnana Yoga, or the Yoga of Knowledge, and Bhakti Yoga, the Yoga of Devotion. As you know, this podcast seeks to provide brief introductions to various topics that are tied to the very broad study of yoga. Just like what is commonly found in any great story, you've heard the exposition, and now you want to learn about how the story plays out. You may be wondering about the outcome of the battle on the field of Kurukshetra. Did Arjuna deny his dharma? Or did he take up his bow and arrow, assume his duty, and become the great warrior? Who was victorious, the Pandavas or the Kauravas? And what about Krishna as Arjuna's charioteer? Isn't he a divine being? <laughs> well, the Bhagavad Gita is a great page-turner, and I promise that no matter how many times you return to the Gita, you will find new discoveries that you've not previously considered. One answer leads to three other questions, and so on and so forth. No matter how many times you revisit the Gita, you will no doubt uncover new discoveries and revelations that will help you to understand the complexities of your existence and bring greater clarity to your personal journey that leads away from suffering to peace. There are many translations of the Gita as the original text was written in Sanskrit. I encourage you to find a version that is easily understood and accessible. My recommendation is to begin with the perennial psychology of the Bhagavad Gita, by Swami Rama, who is the founder of the Himalayan Institute. 
His version includes commentary and explanations in a relatable and easy-to-digest format. Or, Stephen Mitchell's translation is largely comprised of the text or verses without commentary. The Bhagavad Gita is for everyone. I welcome your thoughts or comments. You can find more information about me and stay up to date on the latest of my offerings by visiting green-tree-yoga.com or like Green Tree Yoga of PA on Facebook. Please like or share this podcast that seeks to inspire each of us on our yogic journey. And check out Green Tree Karma's products that can be found at greentreekarma.com. May you be at peace. May you be well. May you be kind and compassionate. May you be happy. Thank you for listening. Until next time.